to recap a little bit, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you have your Bibles, you can be turning to 1 Thessalonians 4. If you want to follow along, we're going to pick up there in just a moment, which is where we were last week. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5, two different verses that we'll touch on. But just to recap, in case you weren't with us or just to refresh ourselves, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again. He came once in the form of man. He came once to give his life, to shed his blood and to die upon the cross so that uh, we would have a chance to be saved and home in heaven. And then as he ascended in Acts chapter 1, he ascended back to the Father. Then he, uh, the statement was made by those two men who were in the clouds there as well that uh, you men of Galilee, as you see him leaving, he will come again in the same form. And so uh, he has ascended back to the Father, and now we're talking about that he is going to come again. He's going to come a second time. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, last week we said that Jesus is the judge, that he will judge all people. Uh, I heard um, Brother Don Blackwell was listening to a video of his this week, kind of on this topic. And um, he said, he made mention, he said, when we think about the day of judgment, um, a lot of times we think about, I'll interject here, we think a lot about what we hear, what we hear in songs, what we hear other people say. And we don't always contemplate exactly what the Bible says or what that means. For instance, when we said that Jesus will judge all people, we're talking about all people. And it's interesting to consider on the day of judgment, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be there. Ahab, Jezebel, and Judas will be there. You and I will be there. All who have ever lived will be there to be judged by Jesus. And so we don't oftentimes think about that. Uh, maybe we have some misconceptions in our mind as we touched on even last week. But we said not only will Jesus judge all people, but he will judge all people as individuals. Um, and we said that is comforting, and that's also a little scary. That at times, when we think about that we would love to be able to stand for someone that we love, you know, we think about people on earth who have an opportunity to maybe lay down their life for a friend or for a child. You know, take him, don't take me, or take me, don't take him or her. You know, my children, take me instead. Offering up yourself. That's a noble thing, but it's not going to happen on the day of judgment. That's not the way it works. Um, at the same time, sometimes we're thankful not to have to answer for what our knucklehead, you know, children or wife or husband or whoever did. And we're thankful that, yes, we stand upon our own, our own merit, our, our own work. So uh, Jesus will judge all people, and he will judge us as individuals. And what we said last week, where we kind of left off with, was that there is a standard at the bottom of page 75, if you have your book, that Jesus will judge us by. And that is comforting as well. There's no second guessing. There doesn't have to be any wondering. When we open our Bible and we read his word, we can know the standard by which we will be judged. And that takes a lot of this judgment, so-called judgment that people talk about in today's society. Don't, you can't judge me and, and you know, I'm not going to judge you and we worry about judgment. Well, it takes a lot of that out of the way uh, because we can know by reading his word the standard by which we will be judged. It's the words of Jesus that will judge in that last day, John chapter 12. And so um, that can be of comfort as well. As we're going to talk about as we finish tonight, um, a lot of this can be comforting if we're in the right state, if we're being faithful, and if we're not, then a lot of it can be kind of scary. Charles?
Sure. Mm-hmm. Back in school, we liked to have open group therapy. At least I did. Where you could, you know, go see what the answer mm-hmm. is and, and that sort of thing. Well, it's the same thing. God has given us what, you know, the criteria of which we'll be judged. Yeah. The open book test is what Charles, the second thing Charles was saying there. Um, I think Freddie always says, you know, God doesn't expect anything out of us that we can't do. You know, he doesn't expect us, hold us to some standard that, that is uh, unreachable. He expects us to, to be faithful, to do what we can do, to follow his word. And it is like an open book test. Um, we can know the answers, and, and that's comforting. The first thing Charles said um, that I want to come back to maybe in a few minutes, but it's the idea um, that, you know, there doesn't have to be that much of a question, in a sense, with our lives. Uh, we treat the second coming of Christ and the day of judgment as if it's a big question mark and we're all going to be waiting, you know, on, on pins and needles, kind of like hoping, wishing, waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, you know, and the crowd's going to ooh and ah as, as folks are divided to the left and the right. And that's not the picture that we're talking about. Um, and Charles used a phrase that we'll come back to, but the idea that uh, it's more of a sentencing than a day of judgment uh, we'll come back to that in just a minute, because I think it comes up again in this lesson. So, uh, number uh, one on page 76 for tonight, uh, one of the easier questions is, softball questions, when will the judgment be? Uh, so I ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5 there. Um, we talked about chapter 4 last week because it deals with that, and we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of chapter 4. But leading into chapter 5, verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So the easy question here for tonight to start off with is, when will the day of judgment be? And the answer is, of course, that we don't know. Uh, This day of judgment, this day of the Lord, uh, the Bible speaks time and time again that no man knoweth. If you've got your book, or even if you don't, the reference is Matthew 24, there in the middle of that page. Uh, The day and the hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Uh, And so, you know, it's it's, um, that one's kind of easy to answer. That one also brings us a bit of uh, uncomfortableness sometimes when we know. I've been teaching Philippians. I've mentioned that at Greens Lake Road on Monday nights. been teaching Philippians, and we talked about Philippians 4 uh, the other night as we covered Philippians 4, and and the mention is made there of the Lord is at hand. Uh, Paul kind of gives some short things, some some kind of quick tidbits, uh, pieces of information to those in Philippi. One of those is that the Lord is at hand. Well, it's interesting to consider... Um, that that's not maybe not necessarily be that Paul is saying, well, Jesus is coming in the next month or week or even year, because here we are, you know, almost 2,000 years later, about 2,000 years later, and, and Paul didn't get it wrong, but the Lord is near. And one writer or commentator that I was reading said it this way, that maybe we should live every day as if the Lord is coming tomorrow. If we could know that, if we know the Lord was coming tomorrow, would we not be prepared um, and so maybe that's what we should do. We should live every day as if the Lord is at hand or Jesus is going to be returning tomorrow. Then we don't have to worry about that day in that same way. Uh, and one particular writer even uh, gave the idea, the phrase used there uh, in the original language is Maranatha. And it was almost like believed that at times that was a greeting. That instead of saying, hey, how's it going? What's up? That they would greet each other with that phrase, Maranatha. And it would mean the Lord is coming, you know, or may the Lord come soon. And uh, the, the writer I was listening to said, you know, maybe that's something we ought to consider more these days. That we ought to be willing to say that and encourage each other with that. May the Lord come soon. May the Lord come soon. So um, we don't know, but at the same time, uh, even though God hasn't revealed us, revealed it to us, then uh, at the same time we um, 
know exactly what the Bible says. And even as Roger says there at the end of that paragraph, at the bottom of page 76, despite this fact, in history many have tried to predict when Jesus would come again. And, and we could go, we could spend the rest of the night looking, as many of you have experienced probably in your lifetime, those folks that have made statement after statement after statement, um, you know, about when, uh, when, when the Lord was going to return. So um, it doesn't have to be a fearful thing. But if we can live in such a way as we're prepared, then, then it can be a good thing. But the bottom line is, what's the answer to when will the judgment be? Well, we don't know. Any other comments or questions there? At the end of Revelation, yeah, that phrase is used. I heard someone in that phrase that I used a minute ago say that that was used there as well. I don't think it's the same original Greek words. Um, but the same kind of idea behind it, even in, in Revelation 22, 20 is one. I think there may even be another place or two. Even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, we get tied up in this earth, and this is another lesson. <laughs> I want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, we get so tied up in this earth sometimes, then we're afraid to leave it. Um, and that's, that's been another thing that's been on my mind, teaching Philippians. Go back home tonight and read Philippians chapter 1 where Paul talks about the idea that, um, you know, I, it's going to be better for you if I hang around, but if it's my choice, I'd rather die. I mean, I'd rather just go on, because if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. But it's more needful for you that I, I remain here. And his true sacrifice was not dying, right? We oftentimes think of martyrs, and people who are martyrs are the great folks that gave their life. Paul says that wouldn't be a true sacrifice. I, I'd rather die in a sense and go and be with Jesus. But it's going to be more of a sacrifice for me if I remain here with you. And it's more needful for you that I stay here. Um, and we get that backwards a lot. Uh, it's natural. We love our family. We love our friends. We love our life. We don't want to leave that. Um, even as we've dealt with that the last week or so here at Saudi, we, we think about that. We're saddened by that. But there is this other side. And sometimes that if we think about it in the form of, of going to be with Jesus, then it kind of changes our thought process. Jerry, you ready to jump in? <laughs> Correct, yes. Left the Hadean realm, yes. That's a dangerous statement to make. I don't know about that, but <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't lay claim to that title at all. But uh, no, you're correct. We think about that. Uh, um, I believe it's Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. I don't want to misspeak. I, I hate stepping out on those limbs sometimes when I, I've not thought about it, but um, that talks about that in Acts chapter 2 um, when Peter's preaching that first gospel sermon uh, and he says, makes that statement, uh, yes, Acts chapter 2 verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. So you're correct. Um, and I don't know if we're going to get into exactly tonight the other passage, of course, is Luke 16. So I struggled with this a little bit the last couple of days because I was listening to lessons and, and doing research and, you know, studying in what happens when we die. And we're not talking about that. <laughs> there's going to be some similarity to that in a sense, and, and there's some things we can learn from that. But as I think that Jerry's referencing there, we're talking about those who would still be alive. 
uh, on the second coming. And so that's two different situations, but I think you're correct. Um, I'll just say this. We've said it again about two or three weeks ago. We oftentimes will use phrases or uh, words incorrectly, not always on purpose, but sometimes out of ignorance if we're not careful. And so the one we talked about a month or so ago, if you weren't with us, was the idea that we go to church, right? And we all say, most of us all know, we say, well, we know the church is not the, the building, the church is the people. I mean, I, I go around the room, we'd all say that, but yet probably at least seven or eight times out of 10, if we're at home, we're going to say, hey, it's time to go to church. We're not, being, we're not trying to be misleading, we're not trying to be any kind of way to cause confusion, but we just misspeak in a sense because that's what we've always done, that's what the world does. I think Jerry's on the right track in the sense that when it comes to death and even after a person uh, dies, and even when it comes to second coming, people misuse things that maybe the Bible doesn't teach, and it's not always on purpose or they're promoting false ideas, but sometimes it takes more study and it can be a little bit out of ignorance if we're not careful which is why this study's been so beneficial, I hope, and it is for me too, uh, to think about these things. And so it's not that we're going to be perfect every time or that you're, you're sinning and a bad person if you misuse that, but boy, it helps when we, we do our best to be as accurate as we can, and that's one of those things um, that we need to be careful about. Yes, ma'am. Well, so that gets back into this question, and I, we'll just jump in now. All right, we'll just go in. So I was going to skip it because Buford didn't bother to come tonight. I'm going to say that here, and you can tell him I said it. So I know he did it on purpose. So I will say, I'll say it now. I was going to say it in announcements, but Midge had texted me and said that you know, her and Carl wouldn't get out with the darkness and the rain. I have a feeling you know, Buford and Faye are certainly in that category, not getting out in the bad weather at night. So, um, but Buford asked a question last week. And uh, I think he was maybe, if I understood what he was saying correctly, I was really hoping he was going to be here because I wanted to ask him again. But he maybe was um, misspeaking a little bit. And if I get it correct, maybe you can help Charles or others. He asked about the righteous meeting the Lord in the air and whether that, that meant there was a prejudgment, so to speak, is the way I understood it. And so when I was thinking about that, when I went home Wednesday night and Thursday and Friday and kind of contemplating that, when you read 1 Thessalonians 4, and that's I ask you to turn there because we'd spend some time there. 1 Thessalonians 4, um, then what the verse says, especially verse number 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so the reference here, I believe, and, and in context is the Thessalonians had a lot of misconceptions themselves about what the second coming meant or the resurrection of the dead and who would rise first, or what would happen in what order. And so Paul is saying, no, we're all going to be called up together. Now, yeah, I had to, to put words in Buford's mouth, but he used the phrase righteous, I believe, is what he was getting at. And that's not used here. And so the only thing I thought about was the song that we oftentimes sing, Jesus is coming soon. And we sing in that chorus, uh, all of the dead shall rise, righteous meet in the skies. And I don't know if he was mixing those up or not. I want to ask him, and I'll ask him Sunday if we're you know, able to be together uh, here and, and ask him then. But uh, I think that maybe he was mixing those up a little bit because the Bible doesn't say that the righteous necessarily will in that way. Although certainly, yes, the righteous will. Um, but back to what Charles was saying in connection with that, the day of judgment, we kind of, I think oftentimes think that um, we put our time on it 
in the sense that God, maybe there's going to be this humongous space where billions of people will be, and one at a time, almost like you're in line at that painstakingly DMV, you know, where each one going to take now serving 42, now serving 5 billion, 400, you know, we're all going to go one at a time before God in that manner. Is that true? I don't really know. I have a feeling maybe it's not, that we don't have, it doesn't have to be in that manner. And I heard, I think Brother Alan Heyer say it this way this week, that when we talk about that, Day of Judgment, and Charles said it perfectly there, that uh, it's not so much that it's a judgment, but that it's a sentencing day. In the, in the sense that, yes, those who would go to the Hadean realm when they die in this life and either go to paradise um, or to Hades, they are being judged then. And when we think about the day of judgment, God's not going to be sitting there weighing and thinking, and, well, let me get... Let me get Charles's file out, and I need to review these papers again. It's not like that. It's not going to be like that necessarily. And so go back to Luke 16. I, I know Jerry's ready to, to teach me everything he knows here. I can see him. <laughs> uh, go to Luke 16. And here's, I think, part of why we, why we mentioned that it's more sentencing than judgment because uh, judgment has been passed. Luke 16 and verse number 20. A certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And so here's the key in verse 23. And being in torments, in Hades, and if you've got the King James, I believe it's going to say hell, and that's a whole different discussion for another, maybe another time. But uh, being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, I don't know for, I, I didn't go word by word through the different translations, but I think we get the sense that he opened up his eyes and he knew pretty much immediately where he was. Judgment had been passed without him standing and God flipping through his file and saying, well, let me weigh uh, let me think about that, and, you know, uh, I don't know about that, and it doesn't work like that. And I think in connection with that, I heard Brother Alan Hire say in this lesson, and if you're taking notes, I don't know, some of you write down notes, some of you don't, go to, you can go to YouTube and you can search five minutes after death. Five minutes after death. It's Alan Hire's sermon, there's at least one on there. Uh, Phil Sanders has done it as well, and I don't know, uh, in connection, you know, they, I think Phil's is a little different, but it's the same concept. Five minutes after death, and it's all about this idea of dying as opposed to the day of judgment. All right, so I said that a few minutes ago, the two, the two things we're talking about here. But uh, one thing that we see here is that the rich man, when he woke up, and, or his eyes opened up, maybe woke up's not the right phrase, his eyes opened up, he had been judged, and he, he knew, and... So Brother Hires in that lesson mentions this fact that he asked the question, can we know that we are saved now and know that we are lost now? Then why do we need to think that it's going to take God sitting down with his papers, shuffling through, pulling out our files to make a judgment in that same day, whether it's the day of judgment or whether it's someone who dies before the Lord returns? And that's a, that's a pretty heavy thought. I mean, that's a lot to consider. But yeah, if we can walk in the light as he is in the light, we talked about that last week several times, 1 John 1, walking in the light, and the, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us, we have blessed assurance, we can pillow our head at night without worry because we've been faithful today and in the past we're forgiven of sin, then you know, what's going to change if we, if, if we die the next day? 
You know, so that's, all, that's kind of a lot to consider, especially the way the world usually thinks about it. All right, so that's, that's a lot to, to mix and to think about. I wouldn't expect you or myself even to you know, be able to sit down and have that discussion very easily. But um, that gets back into, and, and we'll take any questions, but on po- bottom of 76 and over to the top, the question of in what manner will Jesus come again, it talks about meeting the Lord in the air over on page 77. So I'd say that kind of for here uh, at this point of the lesson, but I appreciate Charles's comments earlier and even uh, Miss Ann's question there. Um, but, you know, we will meet him in the air. That's what Paul says here to those in, in Thessalonica, that we will meet him in the air. Now, you know, do what? According to our spiritual body. There's a discussion, too, about our bodies. Yes. So um, I got a question Sunday, even, <laughs> about cremation, all right? And someone asking about cremation. Um, and so that was something else you know, I've, been, I've been looking at. And uh, I can give you a pretty good article that I found. Um, but the idea, of course, that the Bible never speaks, uh, condemns cremation. Um, and some people would talk about, well, what about our body, you know, being resurrected? And, and so Jerry's on the right track there. It's a different body. Flesh and blood cannot inherit um, heaven. One of the great points that I read in this article, I didn't write it down, or I, I can share it with you if you're interested in it, um, but was the idea about, well, what about all those Christians who might have been burned at the stake when they were, you know, tortured or killed for their faith? Um, would we be making a judgment that because they were burned, and we're only left as ashes or dust that they, you know, then wouldn't have a chance. And that's, that would mean then that would go against the words of Jesus in, oh, John, I'm, I'm going to forget the exact reference. But, you know, the idea that we would um, fear what man can do, you know, more than what, than what God can do. Uh, fear, do not fear him uh, who can kill the body. And so, um, you know, that, that's something to consider in that type of discussion. So uh, I don't... Uh, don't go too far down that rabbit hole, but, you know, certainly there's a lot there, too. But the Bible never, never specifically condemns that. But say all that in con- what, connection with what Jerry was saying, yes, the Bible speaks in several places about our bodies uh, being changed. One of those is Philippians 2, where Paul talks about that, uh, and that he talks about Philippians 3, 21, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. There's a heavy statement. I don't know what that means exactly. I know flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but I know, you know that our bodies will be changed and we will meet him in the air. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 there. So, Charles? Yeah, uh, the God who can do anything, created everything in seven days, absolutely. He, he could do anything, and, and there's a little bit of that with this judgment idea, too. I mean, we get a clear picture in a lot of ways of what's going to happen, but as I said, whether we're all in one long line of billions of people or you know, whether it's an immediate thing or whatever, I mean, God can do you know, what he wants in, in that sense. He can do He's all-powerful, but uh, one second, Jeff. Let me get Robert. Yeah, you have to add in the plan of salvation, make sure you don't die in certain ways. Can you avoid all of these lists of things, please, while you're, yeah, it's, yeah, I, absolutely. So, Jeff? I think what we're talking about is, is human, from a human background and a human perspective. 
Well, yeah, and Jeff is saying, um, you know, we, we, our feeble minds, our human minds can't comprehend it. Absolutely. He ultimately has told us you won't know the day and you need to be faithful until that point, uh, whichever it is, whether you die or, or Jesus returns. And that's really all we have to know. I mean, it's nice to have a peek at maybe some, something else or the idea that, you know, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, um, those kinds of things. But as we talked about already, you know, Roger does a pretty good job in this book. Jesus will judge. He will judge all people as individuals. Here's the standard, you know, and um, we could spend, spend hours and days arguing over lots of other things that aren't exactly uh, going to matter. And so real quick, and uh, you guys know usually to raise your hand if you want to jump in, but real quick at the bottom of 76, the other thing in connection with that uh, is that it will not be a, a secret silent affair. And so here we get into some of the other misconceptions about things like premillennialism or other false doctrines that people would teach that you can go buy books and series about. Um, there's a little bit of that here that could be refuted by just a couple of passages, um, but it will not be secret and silent. It will be audible. It will be um, wonderful, amazing uh, in a lot of ways, of course, for, for uh, uh, so many who are faithful, it's going to be something, uh, and the reference back then there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Um, and that's another thing. If you get a chance, and if you're jotting down notes again, uh, the other lesson that's usually very helpful is by Don Blackwell, uh, where, we, where We Go When We Die, or something like that. I may have that a little bit off. Where We Go When We Die. And I was watching it today. Hold on, let me pull up my phone here. I can tell you exactly again my history. Uh, do what, Jerry? He's yeah, he's preaching around here a couple times. Where do we go when we die? A lot of this is through the World Video Bible School, if you ever have a chance to, to visit their YouTube page. Lots of good information there. Where do we go when we die, um, you know, is, is part of this. But, but Brother Don does a good, uh, has a good point towards the end of that lesson, even in connection with what you were talking about there, Miss Ann, of why the judgment day is still necessary then. And one of those, I think, in connection with this idea of the trumpet, of the voice, with, of the shout, is, um, even as Paul talks about in Philippians there as well, that, um, that you know, righteousness will be on display. When Paul says it to those in Philippi, and he even says it, I think, in Romans 14, uh, that, you know, every knee shall bow. How many people do you know who would claim not to believe in Jesus, who are gonna, we know are going to be sorry at some point, and for many folks it will be on that day, and so why is the day of judgment necessary if judgment's already done is kind of the question in kind of in connection with that. And one of those points, I think he's got three or four, but one of those points is the idea that righteousness is going to be on display on that day. And every knee shall bow. And it's going to be something that will be magnificent and hopefully will be magnificent for, all, you know, will be for all the faithful and will be for everyone because every knee shall bow. Jerry? And death and will finally be put First Corinthians 15, 54, 55, 56, you know, uh, and even before that, I think in the 20s verses, but, uh, you know, that death will be overcome, death will be overcome, and how, how great it will be, so, any other comments or, or questions there, we're running lots of different directions, I apologize for that, but, uh, uh, no, no, not your fault, I, I'd planned to go through some of it, but I didn't know how we'd get there, uh, not talking fast enough, Brian's not here tonight to ch keep me in check, so, <laughs> Travis, <laughs> I won't be able to quote it, but, but 
Yes. Well, now we get back to Jeff's answer that, uh, you know, there's some things we just don't know. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I've heard people say before about that, that, you know, we don't know how that will take place. But, again, Alan Hire's Lessons is a great one. And one thing I want to interject was Alan, in the, the one I watched, had the first 10 minutes almost was about the idea of Luke 16 not being a parable which is a discussion that some people will have, that it's just a made-up story, but that it's, you know, it's not a parable. I'll have to set that aside for right now. Back to what Travis was saying there for just a minute. Um, Brother Hires talks about that five minutes after death will be conscious. You know, there is awareness, uh, that there is recognition, uh, there is memory. And, of course, he has great, <laughs> great driving-home point about thinking about the uh, invitation songs that we always ignored, you know, the opportunity to repent, things like that. Um, that we often ignore, there'll be some sense of memory, and we get some of that from Luke 16. The rich man talks about his five brothers. Please send, you know, Lazarus back to my five brothers. They'll change. If, I, if, he'll, if somebody can go back, then they'll change. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know that we know exactly how that'll be accomplished, at least in the, you know, in, the, in eternity, as then we are, you know, part of the right and the left, and, and final judgment, final sentencing is made, um, then, and, the two ideas of death and the second coming. So, Charles. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard it like that too. He said, uh, "Did Jesus ever misinterpret truth, parable or not parable, whether it's one way or the other?" I think that's a, a very good point there. So. Correct. Often in the parables. Yeah, um, sorry, I, you, I've said this, tried to say this several times, but I'm often repeating for those watching online that uh, can't hear or whatever. But um, yeah, that uh, um, parables, he didn't use proper names or exact names often, so that's one of those as well. We're quickly running out of time here, but on the bottom of page 77, so what else will happen when Jesus comes again? So what else will transpire? Uh, there's a great deep discussion there in that first paragraph that he will not establish an earthly kingdom or rule from an earthly throne. Uh, so, you know, lots of false ideas that are usually propagated there that we won't be able to get into tonight. Um, but the, the main thought, of course, of that is the fact uh, from Colossians 1.13, uh, Colossians 1.13 in the middle of the paragraph there, that uh, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So uh, that kingdom already exists, about AD 30 or thereabouts, uh, we think about the day of Pentecost, and so um, he's you know, not waiting to establish it in that sense. Uh, at the very bottom of the page, he will raise all the dead. We talked about this just a, a few minutes ago. Uh, John 5 is one place that we've not really touched on. It's mentioned in that last paragraph there on 77, but John 5 is another place um, where discussion is made about judgment and the standard. We did talk about John 5 last week with the standard, and... Um, even John 6 there, so um, the, the raising of the dead. And, and so there's Jerry's mention from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, that instead their bodies will be changed before they enter into their eternal dwelling place. 
Uh, so certainly the mention there. And then at the top of page 78, uh, another good discussion, and in fact, I guess this may have been last year, two of our brothers uh, had a discussion out at um, Harding University uh, about this idea of a new heavens and a new earth or a renovated earth. But it says from 2 Peter chapter 3, that on the day of Jesus' second coming, the earth and atmosphere will be burned up with fire. And of course, Roger basically then just reads that, that whole passage, 2 Peter 3, verses 10 and 12. And so, sorry again, we can't get into that discussion but, uh, uh, tonight in great detail, but um, you know, that's Peter's teaching there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the earth and atmosphere around it will be burned up with fire. So, getting past the judgment, you know, and, and we kind of talked about already, what then? And of course, once Jesus has pronounced the judgment, there will be an eternal separation of mankind into two groups. Some will go into life, and others will go into condemnation. And, you know, there's a mention there, I think it was uh, um, on page 76, there will be one day of judgment towards the top, one, one day of judgment, period, no retrials, no second chances. And so that kind of connects to the page 78 there that um, once judgment has been pronounced, sentencing has been pronounced, then, yeah, it's no, hey, I'd love to have a second shot or can I try that again or anything like that. But, uh, you know, you'll be, be divided into either those who will go on to eternal life or those who will go on to eternal punishment. Jerry, you thought I was going to tell you you going to say something or not. Sorry about that. Yeah, he's making the statement that a, a lot of folks who talk about, you know, Jesus coming and setting up an earthly kingdom and, and millennium or whatever, you know, to, to uh, have a second chance, that, that's what we'd like to hear. Uh, it's not necessarily what the Bible teaches there. So we have to, as with a lot of things, it's not about what Joel wants or, or even anybody else wants. It's about what the Bible says. So uh, second chance, you know, another try sounds great. But, um, but, you know, that's, that's not the, the teaching there in that we will have, uh, uh, you know, judgment will be done. Bob? First John 1 in verse 7. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I think you're, you're correct. I, I got handed that question last week, but, you know, the idea, and we struggle with this sometimes, but that once we're forgiven, even as Carl read for us from, I think it was Micah, or uh, we think about the other passage of the psalmist, as far as from the east is to the west, our sins are cast into the sea, remembered no more. We struggle with that because we remember things. 
I mean, most of us can remember when somebody did something wrong to us, you know, 20, 30 years ago, whatever it was. We remember that. And we might have told that person we forgive them, but we still kind of remember that because we just kind of keep a little record. But that's not what God says. I think it helps us to remember that. Well, yes, at times it can as well. Sure. Correct. And so there's a fine line here that we're beginning to talk about, um, as we've, we've already touched on tonight, but uh, that we can know, we can have that confidence, blessed assurance, such a beautiful song. And that's what 1 John 1 and, verse two, and even into chapter 2 is talking about. And so I'm, I just encourage you again, I think one of the great misconceptions is that many people treat the day of judgment as just a, a roll of the dice. I'm going to be hoping, wishing, crossing my fingers, doing all I can, you know, to, that I'm going to be, be saved and not be lost, but yet the Bible teaches us that we can have comfort and peace and blessed assurance here, and we should, and so then what's the disconnect? I mean, we separate those things, and, and I think that's a mistake. Um, we need to have blessed assurance. This is 1 John 1, one of the great passages you know, of all, all the Bible, yes, to, to comfort us, but then we shouldn't look at the day of judgment and go, well, I'm just going to be wishing and hoping and waiting. No, that's, that's not the case. And so if we can know, and God wants us to put passages like 1 John in there so that we can know, uh, then we can know whether we die or we can know whether, we, you know, whether the Lord returns. Um, so very quickly, just on the bottom of page 78 there, um, uh, you know, we're all in different places. Uh, we're all in different stages of life and different walks of life and different stages of our Christianity. But the, you know, the ultimate question is then, are you ready for the day of judgment? Friend, you and you alone will determine where you, where you will be in eternity. And, you know, that's another thing. Our world, uh, I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole, but our world uh, is filled with people who like to blame everybody else for their problems and their things. And a lot of people want to question God and try to put God in a box or in the corner and say, well, how could God do that? When in essence, you know, the message all throughout is, is, is it's because of the things that we, will done, that we have done. And I think Bob's right, and, and that was the question I got last week. Well, uh, I got it right here. I forgot I'd said it here. If their sins are forgiven and forgotten, do you have to stand before God of these past sins? And, and that's, you know, the answer is, is no. Now, as long as we have breath, we have an opportunity to then sin again and separate ourselves. But, but when God says you're forgiven, whether it's at... Uh, the moment of, of baptism, you know, and, and coming in contact with the blood of Christ, whether it's then or once that happens and you rise to walk in newness of life and then you mess up again. And when God says, John says there, 1 John 1, you know, that uh, you can repent and confess those and be forgiven, I think he means it. Uh, and, you know, shame on us sometimes for thinking otherwise and, and questioning him. So, yeah, those are forgiven, and we have to do our best to realize that, and that should give us blessed assurance and comfort and peace. Um, but it takes a lot to analyze all that. It takes a lot to think about exactly what the Bible is saying, uh, and I appreciate Miss Ann's question for sure. Um, it's a lot. That's one of the great ones that you'll floor people with, and some of you probably have done that, you know, if you've ever showed. And, and I would challenge you to, to, if you get a chance to share Don's video there, the Where Do We Go When We Die?, it's a great lesson with a chart, flow chart you can see, and you floor a lot of people. That'd be the first they've ever heard of that. Um, and again, a lot of times it's just ignorance on people's part, and other times, you know, it's, it's just what they've always heard. But um, it, it would be wise for us to consider exactly what the Bible says. Even as we talked about the Lord's Supper, 
our giving, uh, you know, baptism or instrumental music or whatever, our singing. We need to know why we do those things, but we need to understand why we speak the way we speak, even especially in regards to the day of judgment, the second coming of Christ. It's a lot to, to consider, and especially we think about our lives and where we stand, much less trying to help others understand that. But I, I hope it's been beneficial for you here, and, and I, I would hope that you'll take this. I know many of you got a, a shelf or a basket you throw a lot of your class books in there, but, but keep it so that you've always got it there and can reference, and hopefully we have opportunities to, to touch on some of these things with others. So I think they're ready to get out. I don't know if you got Maybe they got to hand out the candy early. I don't know if any of y'all dropped your candy off. There may not be any left, but I appreciate all the good comments and questions, so appreciate it.